Amen. Good morning, City Light. Yes. Well, as Doug said, uh, we, we entered into a shift here in John, right? The first half was like three years. The second half is seven days. There's another shift. In the first half, Jesus, uh, he keeps saying, my hour has not yet come. He says over and over again. And yet here in chapter 12, we see him say, the hour has come. And that hour is the hour he was going to die for us on the cross. It it took about seven days to get there, okay? So we're going to spend our next several weeks together journeying to the cross with Jesus in the second half of John. And today, uh, we're looking at the triumphal entry. And so as we dig in here, um, I want to start with a question. Have you ever thought you knew what you were looking at, uh, thought you knew what you needed, and then realized that you just weren't quite right? Like the recipe called for sugar, but you added salt, right? Have you ever done this? I do this kind of thing. I'm the only one. All right, don't eat what I make, okay? Uh, This stuff happens to me actually quite often in maybe a sort of unique kind of way. Um, You may have noticed, if you've been around City Light at all, that I have an identical twin brother, and he is part of our church. And so if you think, I thought I just saw Eric over there, but I see him over there. You're not crazy. Your eyes are okay. I just have a twin. And uh, uh, his hair is a little longer than mine right now, and his beard's a little shorter. Um, But when those are in the right proportions, we look quite a bit alike, and we can be hard to tell apart. And if I can let you in on a little secret... I kind of like that. It's like one of the best parts about being a twin is making people wonder, is that him or isn't it? I don't know. It's kind of fun. And so I'll tell you this story. Um, We were at Thanksgiving. Yeah, everybody's looking for him. He's back there, all right? He's the best looking guy in the room. You can't miss him. So we were at uh, Thanksgiving dinner one time with my family. Uh, My wife and kids were there. His wife and kids were there. And uh, we showed up, and Aaron was wearing khaki shorts with an Iowa State Cyclones t-shirt. I was wearing khaki shorts with a San Francisco 49ers t-shirt. Now, those teams don't have the exact same colors, but the t-shirts were both shades of red with yellow riding. And our hair was the same, and our beards were the same, and needless to say, it was one of our more identical days, all right? And so we'd had lunch, we're now watching football in the living room, hanging out, and in walks my sister-in-law, Aaron's wife, Danielle, and she takes a seat right next to me and puts her hand on my knee and said something like, hey babe, I just got the baby down for a nap. (laughs) It's very clear at this point she thinks I'm Aaron, and so I got to take advantage of that, and so I put my arm around her and said, good work, honey, Uh, to which uh, she slapped my leg and started looking for Aaron, right? (laughs) Now, some people think it'd be a challenge being married to a twin because of situations like that, but I think it's a blessing. Those women just get to see the face of the man they love twice as much as a normal person, (laughs) all right? God is good. Uh, On that day, I got to get back on track. (laughs) On that day, in that moment, Danielle thought she was talking to her husband. And uh, she could be forgiven for that because we look alike, we sound alike, we have nearly identical DNA, right? But she wasn't. What she expected wasn't what she experienced. Who she wanted wasn't who she got. And I think we're going to see that kind of a story play out today as we look at these crowds gather around and expect and desire and hope for a king. Uh, 
We see these great crowds welcoming Jesus, honoring Jesus as their king. But I think we'll see that Jesus uh, wasn't the king that they, uh, even though he was, uh, man, I'm getting confused. He was the king that they experienced, but not the king that they expected. He was the king that they got, but he wasn't exactly the king that they wanted. Jesus was a different kind of king. And here's what we're going to look at today. Two ways that Jesus was a different kind of king, all right? Jesus is the king on a donkey, and Jesus is the king who died, all right? Um, That's where we're going. Uh, It is Passover time in Jerusalem, uh, just about Passover time, as we are in Israel, as we're uh, looking through this text. And the Passover was just this big celebration. It was a Jewish festival that reminded the Jews they celebrated all that God had done, but primarily the climax of what God had done to set his people Israel free from slavery in Egypt. And so that was a big deal. And so they put on this big big celebration, um, and uh, it was about ready to happen in Jerusalem. And so the day before Jesus sets out to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, he stops by to visit his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he had dinner with them. And last week, Doug talked about what happened at that dinner inside the house. But uh, there was also stuff happening outside the house. You see, these crowds were gathering because they had heard who was in there eating. They had heard that this great teacher, this healer, this miracle worker, this Jesus, who was able to peer into a tomb full of dead bodies and call out, Lazarus, come out. This guy had the audacity to speak to dead people and say, hey, stand up and come out of that tomb. That guy is eating in this house. And not only is he there, but this other guy who had been wrapped up in burial clothes, laid down in that tomb and left for dead, when he heard the voice of Jesus, this guy actually stands up and somehow like waddled out of the tomb in those burial clothes. He obeyed Jesus' voice, and he traded those burial clothes for dinner clothes, and now that guy who shouted into the tomb, and this guy who walked out of the tomb, they're both sitting there eating together. And the crowd is astonished. Man, I want to meet those guys. I want to see those guys. That whole experience, the dinner, the story, the excitement. It had people in that crowd starting to believe Jesus might just be who he says he is. Jesus might just be the promised one, the savior, the Messiah, the king. People started to give their hearts to Jesus. And so when they heard that uh, Jesus was going to set out for Passover the next day, this crowd decided we're going to throw a parade. We're going to do this right. This is our king. We're going to celebrate his entrance into the capital. And so they grab palm branches and they start shaking the leaves. That may seem weird to us today, but you got to remember back in these times, there were no Sharpies, there was no poster board, so you couldn't like hail King Jesus and like shake the sign. That didn't happen back then. And so they took palm branches with leaves and they'd shake those, and that was a sign of success and victory and pride and praise. And so they shook these leaves, and then there was no red carpet to be rolled out. 
And so they would take off their jackets or their tunics, like the robes, whatever they wore back then, and they would lay them down on the ground in front of Jesus so that their king could make his way to the capital without getting his feet dirty. And then they would shout and cheer. And this is what John says they shouted. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now their cry is an almost exact repetition of Psalm 118, verse 25. Okay, that's what, uh, let me read it to you. Psalm 118, verse 25 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. That, that uh, little sentence there in Hebrew, the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew, and that little sentence there, save us we pray, O Lord, in Hebrew sounds like Hosanna. So when they shouted Hosanna, if you wonder what that means, it comes from this sentence in Hebrew that means save us we pray, O Lord, or save us now, Lord. And so they're shouting, save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we see even from their cheers that the crowd is making a connection. They're saying, if Jesus could call Lazarus out of the grave, if he could save Lazarus from his burial clothes, Jesus might just be the king that's promised who could do the same for us. And so they're expecting it, they're hoping for it, they're asking for it, they're praising Jesus for it. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They look at Jesus and they see their king. And it's about this point in the story where we begin to see the gap between what the crowds expected and what the crowds experienced. We see this gap between what the crowds wanted and what they got in their king. Because see, these crowds, they wanted an amazing king. They wanted a king who could lead the nation of Israel with insight and power. They wanted a king who fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming king, or at least their favorite ones, right? They wanted a king who could lead them and defeat Enemies, strong enemies like the Romans who were occupying and ruling them. And when they looked at Jesus, they saw what they thought was that kind of king who would do that kind of thing. They looked at him and they saw somebody who could make them great, right? They saw Jesus who took one boy's sack lunch of five dinner rolls and two fish sticks and he fed a multitude fish sandwiches, right? The, 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 our Catholic friends would have rejoiced. It's like the first fish fry, right? And they all celebrated it, and Jesus did it. If he could do that, if he could feed a multitude with just a boy's sack lunch, what other great things could he accomplish among us? I love the Catholics, by the way, all right? I feel like I just went somewhere I shouldn't have. <laughs> Forgive me if I offended. Um, Jesus could do great things among them. Right? They looked at Jesus and saw a king who could defeat strong enemies. He had just days before called a dead man out of the tomb. He defeated even death itself. 
If Jesus could do that, what other enemies could he defeat? They wanted a king who would lead their nation with strength, who would put out the enemies that they had, the other nations, so that their nation, Israel, could be exalted and prosperous. They wanted a king like the other great kings of the earth. What they wanted isn't exactly what they got. Jesus was a different kind of king. And so let's dig back into how was Jesus different? We said first that Jesus was the king on a donkey. Okay, what does that mean? Why would he ride on a donkey? Well, imagine, put yourself in the picture, in the crowd at the triumphal entry. This is like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? This is a big deal. Crowds have gathered for this. They're excited about this. They've got the, the branches waving, their coats on the floor. There's excitement and celebration and anticipation in the air because the king is coming. And then he, he comes, the one that they've been longing for and waiting for and looking for and hoping for and expecting, King Jesus, he shows up on a donkey. It seems a little out of place. This is called the triumphal entry, in part because the crowds there expected success and victory and triumph. Their king was supposed to enter the capital in greatness. And yet for all the pomp and circumstance, the whole procession is one man on a donkey. What's going on? It, it, it seems out of place. And if I put myself in their shoes, I got to believe there was at least somebody there thinking, this isn't what I expected. What I'm experiencing isn't meeting my expectations. This is supposed to be a great king. Here he is on a mule. Why would Jesus pick a donkey? Why would his triumphal entry happen on an animal like that? Um, it's just not normal for a king. Kings ride, they, they, they travel in all kinds of ways. They ride on chariots. They have people carry them on thrones. They ride on white stallions prepared for war. They have heralds that declare the coming of the king. They have dancers who celebrate the presence of a king. They have jesters who share the joy of the king. They have soldiers who march in front and behind to put on display the strength of the king. They travel in all kinds of ways, but not on on a short-statured, long-eared, uh, stubborn-hearted, humble donkey. Is it clear? Jesus is a different kind of king. Why would he do that? I think John gives us a little bit of insight. He clues us in. He says, And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. And what he quotes there is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This is a prophet in the Old Testament. And in case you're not familiar with Zechariah, I had to look this one up uh, myself. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, and here it is, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's verse 9. Now verse 10. 
I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. When the crowds looked on Jesus, they saw that their king was coming to them and they got that part right, but they missed the kind of king that he was. Jesus wasn't simply a warrior king who would war against the nations to exalt Israel. That's not what he came to do. Jesus was a king who would cut off the chariot, cut off the war horse, cut off the battle bow. Why? Because he came to speak peace to the nations. You see what's going on here? Jesus' mission was never to be only king of Israel. Jesus' mission was to come and be king over all nations. He's a different kind of king. The war that Jesus came to fight could not be fought with chariots and war horses and battle bows. It could never be won with that kind of weaponry. Jesus didn't come just to save people from each other. He came to save people from much more powerful and dangerous enemies, namely Satan, sin, and death. Those enemies cannot be defeated with a chariot and a war horse and a battle bow. Jesus came to do battle against something different than all the other kings. And by going to battle against those enemies, by defeating enemies like that, Jesus cuts off all need. For a war horse and a chariot and a battle bow. By defeating enemies like that, Jesus speaks peace to the nations. From sea to sea. From the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is a different kind of king. He didn't come to wage war against men. He came to wage war against the sin that was raging against the hearts of men. Jesus is a different kind of king. And it is good news. And so City Light, I want to ask the question here. Do you see, can you feel the heart of mission burning inside our Savior King? Can you get a sense of that, that it started way back in the Old Testament? It's continuing here in the triumphal entry. And Jesus didn't let it lie there. He echoed it again before he ascended into heaven. The last thing that he said to his disciples before he went to heaven, some of you already know this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've already got it from sea to shining sea, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations. Go make disciples of all all nations. He called his followers to be on the same mission that he was on. Go make disciples of all nations. Why? Because Jesus was speaking peace to and saving people from all nations. This is like fuel for us at City Life. This is what drives our family. We say that our mission is to multiply Jesus-loving disciples and churches. We want to see this 
take over the city. We want to see the, the kingdom of God take ground here and to the nations. And so we sing about this mission and talk about this mission and pray about this mission and partner on this mission in city groups and live out this mission day in and day out as individuals because we actually believe that it's the mission of Jesus Christ and that he's invited us into it. We believe that Jesus is on a mission to make disciples, to multiply disciples in churches. Are you on board? See, like, I want to ask you today, are you on that mission? Are you on that mission? Take a minute and just reflect. Do some business in your heart. Are you on mission with Christ the King to make disciples of all nations? Come up with an answer in your heart. It can be anything. Yes or no or maybe or sometimes but not always or once that kind of happened but it didn't go very well or often I got one story or uh, I try to be whatever your answer is come up with something in your heart that answers the question are you on mission to multiply disciples of all nations can you say that let me encourage you I love being a pastor at City Light Church in part because when I get to ask these questions I get to respond like this I think our church has some great traction here I'm just going to be honest. You have all uh, invited people to prayer nights and to city groups and to Sunday gatherings like this. You all have prayed for people who don't know Jesus, that they might meet Jesus and find life in him. You have all served the city so that the city can see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And because of all of those things, living on the mission of Christ, you guys have supported Uh, uh, short-term mission trips so that people from our church can go evangelize the nations. All of those things are living on mission, and because of it, disciples are getting multiplied. We've had to buy new chairs. You guys got to park across two highways to get a shuttle over here. That is God's grace. He is multiplying disciples. I just want to say today, would you keep going? Could we not lose sight that we don't come here just to sing and talk and have good coffee and donuts? We come here because our King Jesus is on a mission and he's calling us into that mission. And so would we keep going? And if you haven't been part of that mission, that's okay. There's no time like today to jump in. And so let's keep praying and pursuing and going after making disciples of all nations. Amen? Jesus is a different kind of king. He rode on a donkey because he's after a different kind of mission. His battle is not against the men and women of the nations. It is for the men and women of the nations. And we get to follow him in that. So Jesus is a different kind of king because he rode on a donkey. Uh, Spend the rest of our time looking at number two. Jesus is a different kind of king because he is a king who died. Now, When he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey, he told us what kind of king he was. He wasn't coming to war against men. He was coming to win the war against sin that was being raged against men, right? And so next, he's going to tell us how he fights that battle, how he wins that war. Uh, Let's look at the little parable that he shares in verses 24 and 25. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In short, Jesus is saying he's not going to win the war he came to fight by taking the lives of men. He's going to win the war he came to fight by giving his life for men. How different from most kings, right? Most earthly kings would would demand honor from their subjects by uh, requiring them to cry things like, Long live the king! O king, live forever! And yet Jesus here on his procession into the capital tells his people, I'm going to die. It is very different. And the picture he uses is a grain of wheat. Now around here, we might be more familiar with a kernel of corn or a soybean, right? If that's okay, that's you. Just make the substitution. The picture still works, all right? Uh, Jesus says, if you've got a grain of wheat and you try to preserve that grain of wheat, you try to hold on to it and keep it, then that grain of wheat will remain a single grain. Eventually, it will probably decay and rot and cease to exist. It will be lost. If you try to hang on to that thing, it will never multiply. And yet, if instead of holding on to that, if you can let it go, if you can give it up, if you can drop it into the ground, then something amazing happens. New life and multiplication. We get to see this. Uh, every year, hundreds and thousands of times over as we drive past fields of corn and beans. What happens when you put a seed in the ground? Even though that seed is buried, trapped in darkness and isolation and left alone, it doesn't stay that way. By being given up and buried, something happens in that seed and that shell that encapsulates it breaks. And when it breaks, that seed sends up a shoot. And that shoot pierces and penetrates and works its way up through everything that tries to keep it down. And at some point, that little seed sending up that little shoot breaks into the light. And new life can be seen. And as that new life is seen, it grows up and it matures and it flourishes so that what once was alone is now multiplied. A grain of wheat to heads of wheat, a kernel of corn to ears of corn, a single soybean to pods of soybeans. When we let go, new life and multiplication happen. And Jesus uses this picture to point us to what he's about to do. He says like a a grain of wheat that's dropped into the ground, buried and left for dead, when that breaks up to new life and multiplication, that's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be buried, left for dead, trapped in darkness and isolation, but I will crack that shell I will send up that shoot. New life and multiplication will happen after I die. I will save people from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. That's our king. The king who dies. So see that. After that story, he gives a challenge to those who would follow him. 
to those who would call him their king, to those of us in the nations, those of us who he will save. And it goes like this. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you love your life, you will lose it. If you hate your life in this world, you will keep it for eternal life. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible or how Jesus works, this is a very intense and weird statement. Counterintuitive. Um, as I was preparing for this, I just I, uh, I love a pastor named John Piper. He covered this better than I could. And so let me just read to you how he uh, responds to this uh, verse, John 12, 25. This is what he says. Here, the destination is eternal life, and you can miss it by loving your life. That is, by making your goal in life to be safe and secure and comfortable and surrounded by only pleasant things. That is the pathway to perishing. Or, Jesus says, you can take another path and arrive at eternal life. That path is called hating your life in this world. Notice that he adds, in this world. Hating your life in this world means that you will choose to do things that look foolish to the world. You will deny yourself things and take risks and embrace the path of suffering for the sake of love. This, Jesus says, will lead to eternal life, not death. In other words, the way to follow our king in his mission to multiply disciples of all nations, the way to join in on that mission is to die. It's to die to preserving your reputation and giving in to fear when the opportunity to tell other people about Jesus arises. It's to die to doing what is most comfortable when the opportunity to serve those in need comes up. It's to die to looking the other way when those around you are struggling and suffering. It's to die to living for little dreams like financial security and little goals like being able to tolerate people around you that you don't like or that aren't like you. Following Jesus means living for something bigger than yourself, for bigger dreams. It means being generous with people like Jesus has been generous with you. It means not settling for tolerating people that you don't like or aren't like you, but pursuing real peace and love among people from all tribes and languages and nations and tongues like Jesus does. It means... When you follow Jesus, this kind of death is not the end. Letting go of the life we know is not the end. It's only the beginning of new life, of eternal life, of experiencing the peace of Christ the King. And so I, I just want to end today. I'll end with this question. How do you, like how do you need to respond to Jesus' challenge? to let go of this life so that we can embrace eternal life. To what do you need to die? Let me give you a couple examples of just people in our church and how they've done this, okay? Uh, one is, I'll start really kind of big and extreme, and then we'll narrow down. Um, one example is uh, Ken and Rochelle Johnson. Some of you guys know Ken and Rochelle. Um, they helped start this church a couple years ago when we were getting started. Rochelle is a lifelong council bluffer or council bluffian. 
I don't know what it is. If somebody knows, you can tell me. She's from Council Bluffs all her life, okay? And Ken is not. Ken's from Japan by descent. He spent some of his life growing up in Japan. And uh, if, you, if you know Ken, his heart was always for Japan because he just had this burden that so few people in his home country knew Jesus as their king. And so uh, they helped us start this church, and then shortly afterwards, they got an opportunity where a pastor in Japan needed somebody to fill in for a while, and Ken could do that. And so you know what they did? They sold a lot of their stuff. They gave away the rest of their stuff. They bought plane tickets for them and their kids, and they hugged their friends and family before they flew halfway around the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people they'd never met. Ken and Rochelle died to the comfort and security that they had in their life here so that they could see and experience and pursue new life and multiplication and disciples in a land that Rochelle had never known. And and the best part of it all is it's really happening. These guys have story after story of people young and old that they've shared the good news of Jesus with who've started to believe And disciples are being made and multiplied in Japan because they died to their life here to go over there. It's an amazing story. And City Light, I hope it's not a unique one. And this is where it gets a little dangerous, but I want to make the call anyway. Theirs is an amazing story, but I hope it's not a unique one. I think it's awesome uh, to support missionaries financially. We do that, and we're going to continue to do that, and I don't want to make light of it. That's amazing. And I think it's awesome to bring in missionaries from out there to come here so that we can hear stories of how God is moving out there. We do that, and we love it. We're going to keep doing it. That's great. I don't want to minimize it. But oh, City Light, what would it be like to be a people who dream and pray and pursue the idea that we as a church might raise up and send out missionaries, even of people who are sitting in this room right now, who might give up their life and comfort and security living here to take the good news of King Jesus over there. I just, honestly, as I've been praying and preparing for this message, I've felt like I don't just want to make a call that says, good job, Ken and Rochelle. I feel like God actually might be doing something in the hearts of somebody in this room, calling you beyond what you know to see what he might do somewhere else. If that's you, can I just say, you're not weird. God still does that kind of thing. He still calls people to to the ends of the earth. And so if that's you right here and you're wrestling with it, uh, would you just commit to talk to somebody about it? You can talk to me or Doug, talk to somebody in your city group, but would you just talk about it? Because we would love to pray and pursue what that might look like, that we could be a church that sends out missionaries to the ends of the earth. Okay? But I think if we're honest, most of us aren't going to be called to that. That's okay. Uh, It's no less of a calling to be called right here to Council Bluffs. This is part of the nations. And so let me give you one more story. Um, We've got a growing and thriving uh, city group, uh, Bible study, uh, campus ministry over at Iowa Western. And we're really excited about that. And uh, I want to tell you a story I didn't ask. So Bailey, I hope this is okay. I want to tell you a story I heard about just this last uh, week at prayer night. Um, Bailey is part of our campus ministry, and she's also got other student leadership roles on campus. 
And so she was getting ready to uh, make some deliveries for some stuff that she had to do uh, to students in their rooms on campus. And as she was preparing to do that, she just thought, oh, this would be a great opportunity to invite people to Bible study. Let's have some conversations and invite them. And uh, so you know what she did? She actually invited people to Bible study. She, didn't, she, she died to the idea that she could just do her job the easy way, make the delivery, knock on the door, and then leave. They'll find it outside. She died to the idea that somebody might say no, or judge me, or reject me, or maybe, the, or maybe uh, give me a bad reputation, or maybe this isn't the right time, or I should do it another way, or whatever. She died to all of those things to say no, and instead she let it go and she made the invitation. And you know what happened? There were like six or seven people that she invited who showed up to Bible study the next Monday night for the very first time. Now, if you don't know how amazing this is, our entire group on campus was only six people last year. And we've been praying that God would take us from six to 60. And we got to take a huge step in that direction because one person who loved Jesus was willing to give up her life, to die to herself and all of the things that said no, to say, I'll follow this inkling in my heart and make an invitation that somebody might come to know Jesus. And now we're seeing the beginnings of new life and much fruit and multiplication because of it. City Light, I want to encourage you. This stuff really happens. It actually happens. When we say that we are on a mission, that we believe Jesus has called us to be on, to multiply disciples in churches, we're not making that up. And we don't just say that so that we have a cool-sounding mission statement. We want to live on that mission, following our king. And so my encouragement today would be, would you follow a different kind of king? Would you ride on a donkey, a peaceful donkey instead of a war horse? Would you make peace with the nations? Would you follow Jesus and die to the things of this world? So that you might live and experience eternal life in the world of Jesus Christ. City Light, would we keep going and keep praying and keep trusting and keep risking and keep dying as we follow Jesus our King? Amen. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Oh God, uh, you are good. Uh, I just... It's hard for a simple man like me to comprehend the greatness of who you are. And I read passages like this today, and I wonder, what are you doing, Jesus? And then I get to look back to the Old Testament and say, oh yeah, this wasn't a plan that Jesus made up when he showed up on earth. This was part of a plan that God had intended since the very beginning. That his king would unite all peoples. That he wouldn't fight the battle to destroy people, but he would come to speak peace to people. And then Jesus fulfilled that as he walked on that earth and he called us into it. Now this is a mission that's still happening. Jesus, you're more than I can comprehend. And I'm grateful to serve somebody bigger than myself. And God, I just pray today, as I've been praying, I just feel like, man, I think there's somebody in here who's sensing a call to live for something bigger than themselves. Sensing a call that maybe they're not satisfied with the life that they have here. They've been trying to hold on to it, but it's time to let it go because you're calling them somewhere else. God, if you're calling somebody here to do missions over there, God, you speak peace to them right now. Do you encourage them? 
Would you light a fire? It was Jeremiah who said that your words were like a fire in his bones. Indeed, he couldn't hold it in. If there's somebody here right now that's dealing with that kind of an experience, uh, that you're burning inside of them, God, would you um, give them the grace to let it out, to talk to somebody? Oh, God, would you make us a church that sends people out to the nations to follow you on the mission that you're on? God, my heart's also just burdened because I feel like there are probably some people here who are coming to sort out, is this whole Jesus thing for me? And they might be sitting in this room thinking, I've messed up. I've done too much. Jesus wouldn't want somebody like me. And guys, pray. Would your word soak deep into, the, into their soul? You would convince them that you didn't come to die to save people who didn't need a savior. You came to die that people, that all people might have new life in you. The, the, the people who are healthy don't need a doctor. It's people who are sick. It's people who are struggling with the darkness and sickness and death in this world that you came to save. And so God, if there's somebody here today that's saying, man, I need a different kind of king in my life, would you be that king today? Would you call them to you, turn them to you? Would you meet them where they are even this morning? Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. We pray all this in your name.